With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Focus on Albany. My guest today is Martin Rather, who is the grandson of Dan Rather. And uh, to start off with, he's going to talk a little bit about the Rather Prize. And then he's going to get into what it's like living in New York City right now. So, Martin, how's things going in, in New York City? What does Central Park look like? Yeah, good morning, Cynthia, and thank you for having me on. Um, Central Park right now, I'm, I'm looking out at it. Uh, it's a rainy, uh, cloudy day uh, here in New York. And, you know, I would say a couple of things. You know, there's going to be – this is a long road ahead. Um, we spoke, uh, you know, recently about um, really, you know, the devastation that, that's going on here and how people um, were understanding but perhaps not to the full extent taking social distancing seriously. I think we've seen more um, in, in the right direction over the past week and in, in recent days. Um, right now, I don't see really anybody outside, but I have heard anecdotally that people are more optimistic overall. Um, you know, you've seen that the death rate uh, go down a little bit. It's still far too high, but it's on its way down. Hospitalizations are, are down somewhat. Um, but as I look out at, at Central Park, you know, to answer your question, um, I would say that while there are fewer people out there, uh, the sense of optimism is, is almost palpable. Whether or not that proves to be founded or unfounded, I think uh, time will tell. You, um, you are a young person. You're uh, you just graduated from college and, and you have many years ahead of you, I hope. So, what's it like for a young person to comprehend what's going on today? Yeah, I, look, I mean, first of all, I hope we all have have many uh, many years ahead. Um, you know, given uh, what we're facing, it, it's going to be difficult. Um, but you know, as a young person, a few things. I mean, you know, you're only I'm, I'm 23 years old. You're only 23 once, um, and you know, when at least when you're my age, or at least in my position, uh, you know, you want everything to just to just go to just happen now. Um, and we've had to take um, a pause. And I think what's really difficult for younger people um, is the effects on, on mental health. I was just reading an article, I believe it was in the New York Times yesterday, about how kind of especially, yes, among people in their 20s, but especially among teenagers, as the boredom sets in, um, you know, people are, are spending a lot of time on their phones, a lot of time in their bedrooms, a lot of time on social media. Um, and, you know, I'm a believer that, that, that connectivity is a great thing. Um, but there are a lot of studies that show that they can have an adverse effect on mental health if you spend too much time on them. And right now, that's kind of the only option for a lot of people is to spend time, um, you know, on social media. Just it's a way to, to pass things through. And so, you know, overall, I would say for younger people, it's, it's difficult because you only get these years uh, once, you know, and these are these are very formative years um, for, for me and people, you know, around my age. But I would suggest that, you um, you know, we really have to focus on our mental health and make sure that, that we can, uh, you know, do the very best we can because while the physical effects of this virus are less on younger people, it appears, um, the mental effects 
you know, can be just as, as straining. And so, you know, we just have to keep on pushing through. You said that the uh, physical effects aren't as bad as, as older people. Let, let me say this. The economic effects, what's yeah. going to happen to the economy? What's going to happen to people who've lost their jobs, who've graduated from college, who can't find a decent job? The economic impact on them is going to be beyond severe. Would you agree? I would completely agree. I think that's an excellent point. Um, you know, among one of people just of, of my uh, my age and stage here, um, you know, a year ago, two years ago, it's never easy to find a job when you're just out of college, but it was one of the boom times. Um, and unfortunately, now you're absolutely right. I mean, you have a lot of people, a lot of people I know um, graduating in the next month or so. And for them, hiring has stopped completely. If they didn't have a job lined up before, um, they may not, you know, be able to find one now. And these are these are qualified applicants in an educational sense. Obviously, uh, you know, people may not have the years of experience, uh, you know, if you're fresh out of college that some positions might be looking for. Um, but you're right to center on the economic effects. This is going to be devastating. It's going to, to set people back many years. I, my heart goes out to people who work so hard, you know, to, to do well and, and get into a good college and do the best that they can do at those colleges and get a good GPA and they're looking to get a good job and maybe even they did a lot of sub, summer internships and, and things of the sort and then they come out, uh, you know, looking for a job. They might even have a job offer and there's just nothing there for them. Um, I have, you know, so much, so much sympathy for those people, um, for the people who have been laid off uh, across all industries I think you're right to focus on the economic effects of this virus. I think that they're going to be very, very long-term, very devastating. And, you know, I think it goes to kind of a fundamental issue with our economy right now. The stock market is not that far down in terms of the number of people um, who have lost their jobs, another 4.4 million yesterday, that Wall Street is doing just fine. Um, you know, it's down a little bit, but not that much as tens of millions of Americans you know, go out of work um, and can't find a job. And, and mind you, the unemployment rate is, is not an accurate um, estimator of everybody who is out of a job. It looks at people who are actively yeah. searching if you haven't, you know, done it for a certain amount of time and all of those things. So, you know, w Wall Street is, is doing fine and, and Main Street is really hurting. And that goes to a fundamental inequity in, in our economy, unfortunately. Do you think that's going to uh, be the, the given for, for the long term? You know, that's, that's a great question. Um, I still think it might be too soon to tell. You know, there is a chance that when the economy comes back that people are, because they've been so stir-crazy in their homes, you know, that they're more willing to spend, they're more willing to live life for the present moment. Um, you know, and that could be a potentially a, a good sign, uh, you know, for the economy. But I think long-term, you know, look, the, the system is broken. This is highlighting how the system is broken. Um, you know, this virus only exacerbates the, the effects between, you know, so-called haves and the have-nots. Um, it, it's mm -hmm. really, it, it's, it's shameful to see. Um, and I think that those effects, you know, the current administration uh, in Washington showing no signs of, of trying to fix that. They're, in fact, doubling down. Um, so I don't see that fix happening uh, anytime soon. Uh, and I really worry about the long-term effects. One of the big problems young people face is the uh, student loan debt crisis. When the economy comes back and 
the economic outlook will be changed. A lot of people will not have a good enough income to pay off their debt. What do you think is going to happen with the student loan debt crisis? I think it's going to have devastating effects on people's credit. Uh, I think, again, you're right to focus in on that. So, you know, what happens when people default on their student loan frequently is it shows up uh, on their credit report. Um, that credit report then leads to people needing to pay higher interest rates to, to get a home mortgage. Um, you know, it leads to more difficult times, uh, you know, having access to credit generally, credit cards, you know, other, other things like that. Um, so to me, yes, I think you're right. The student loan default rates are going to go up. Um, and I think beyond that, and this is something, you know, people are talking about more and more now, you're going to see a lot of colleges and universities have to close. That if schools do not have a, a strong endowment, which let's face it, is a lot of schools in, in this country. And, and to be clear, I'm not advocating that, that schools should have years ago had, you know, billions of dollars in an endowment and, and not spent on financial aid or anything like that, obviously. You know, schools make the decision, um, you know, as they are, and, and financial aid is incredibly important. But you do have a lot of schools that, um, you know, spent heavily on, on student programs, some of which were worthwhile, some of which were not. And then now they're going to have to pay the price in the sense that they just don't have the, the reserve, the savings. I think you're going to see a lot of schools shut down. Um, already, I think, you know, you've seen an unfortunate cut to education, um, both general and, and uh, higher education uh, you know, by state governments, I think that that's going to continue on. And then just a lot of other schools are going to shut down, which then creates the cycle of people who have defaulted on loans or maybe struggling to pay it back. They may be paying back for an education that is at a school that doesn't exist anymore. And therefore, the value of that education has, has decreased. Um, and, you know, that's, a, that's a, a really difficult position to put people in. So I have strong, strong fears about the student debt uh, crisis in this country. I really worry about people's credit. Um, but also for all of the, the small universities and, and colleges that really, you know, can be um, a lifeline for a lot of people. I worry that they just won't exist when all this is over. You know, you come from a family who is very astute about what's going on in the world. Did you see this coming or did it hit you in the face? It absolutely hit me in the face. I don't think anybody could have remotely seen this coming. Um, you know, I, I really, uh, I, I was taken aback by it. You know, everybody I know was. Um, you know, when I first was reading about reports from China, I thought, oh, wow, you know, this is obviously a problem. And, and my first thought really was actually for the Chinese economy, um, you know, which has had, uh, you know, been, been a focus from, from the, on the world stage for, for quite a while now. Um, you know, it's really been, been growing at an incredibly rapid rate. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, this could be a problem for the, for the Chinese economy. But, you know, I know the United States has fantastic public health and we'll be able to solve this. Uh, and it just it never occurred to me that this would be the kind of thing that could shut down, you know, basically the, the entire world. And, and also when you're looking at the world stage, you know, there's a few places that I feel like people don't talk about, um, you know, as much. That, For instance, Taiwan, I was reading, is having actually a phenomenal response. Um, to this coronavirus crisis, that, and it really goes to, to the freedom that, that the people have, but also the way in which kind of their government didn't cover it up. So, you know, in neighboring China, you know, this, the, the communist regime was, was shutting down doctors who were speaking out about this, and in Taiwan they were taking active steps to try and combat it. Um, so, you know, I think that, that there are some places that have kind of been, been lost in the shuffle here um, in terms of, of a strong response. But, no, in, to answer your question, 
never saw this one coming. Do you think that the federal government saw this coming? No, unfortunately not. And I think that this has been a pattern of the Trump administration to be flat-footed and unprepared. Um, to me, uh, you know, I have a lot of family in, in Puerto Rico, um, and I look at the response after, after Hurricane Maria, which from the federal government, it was, it was terrible. I mean, you know, there was one disaster in Hurricane Maria. There was another disaster, which is the, the federal government's response to Hurricane Maria. And you're seeing that now again. And, you know, I've been talking to my family down there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to be of Puerto Rican heritage. And, and they cannot believe the corruption that's going on in terms of access to testing, um, you know, in terms of government contracts that are going the wrong way, in terms of being ignored by Washington. And that's just one example. I mean, there's, there's example after example of ways in which Trump has been trying to keep the testing numbers down so that the number of people who have this virus, who are known to have this virus, you know, is, 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 is down and he looks better for it. The federal government has done an exceptionally poor job um, responding to this. We are paying the price with our lives here in New York, uh, and so are a lot of other places around the country. It just amazes me on how, and I'm going to use the word inept, the federal mm-hmm. government's response has been to this. And, you know, that's only going to prolong the crisis that much more. Would you agree? Could not agree more. Uh, it is going to, to prolong it. It's going to make it more devastating. It's going to lead to much, much, much more uh, pain and suffering from the American people. Uh, you're absolutely right to call it inept. It's, it's shameful. Um, and again, Americans are, are paying the price for this right now. And, and it's, uh, it's tough to, to keep the faith. I mean, look, I, I am an optimist, um, you know, by nature and by experience. Uh, I believe in the United States. I was just having a long conversation with a friend of mine about what an amazing document, uh, you know, how many protections we get in, in our Constitution and in our Bill of Rights and, and in the ways in which, uh, you know, we are protected in this country. But our federal government is, is hanging us as individuals out to dry right now. So tell us a little bit about what New York City likes looks like these days because, you know, when you think of New York City, you think of Times Square, people bustling around, you think of Central Park with everybody in the park enjoying the nice spring weather. What's it like in New York City right now? Well, so a couple of things. You know, in the past week, again, I wouldn't say New York City has turned a corner, um, but I do think that the optimism is is palpable. People are a little bit um, – there's a little more bounce in their step uh, on the street when people go out on the street. Um, but, you know, look, it's clearly a pandemic. What you're describing in, in Times Square and, and elsewhere, uh, you know, is a relic of, of the old New York. Um, you know, you can't, you, you, you just don't see that right now. People can't be in, in gatherings. Um, and I would say the city has in many ways slowed down. It's sort of lost that, um, you know, kind of that bounce, that, that extra step um, in terms of a pace as a, as a whole for the city, even if individuals might be, you know, a little bit more um, active now than they were before. Um, but, you know, this also highlights the city's um, infrastructure problems that, you know, you have, uh, a city that still has far too many cars on the road, um, that has, you know, not enough green space, not enough open space. Uh, the city is known for its density. It's one of the great things about New York. Um, but unfortunately, everything comes with a cost. And right now with this virus, uh, as people live right on top of each other in small shared spaces, 
you know, that's how the virus has, has spread and, and been so devastating for, for New York. How about the uh, nurses and doctors? Are they less overwhelmed than they have been in weeks past? So I've been talking with a couple of them. Um, I know that they're still, uh, you know, very, very busy um, and very active. I think that in some places it might have gotten slightly less overwhelming, but that occurs at the same time that fatigue sets in. So there's there's very much a give and take. You know, they've been going at this this virus for weeks and treating patient after patient, uh, and there's an emotional toll of needing to separate, you know, um, people from from their loved ones, from their families. And, and that's uh, an unimaginable ask of people. Uh, and that's what we're doing right now for our, or that, that's what our doctors and nurses are doing right now. Um, but, you know, for, for us, uh, you know, I'm not in the, in the healthcare field. You know, we, we go outside and, and clap uh, and bang on pots and pans every night at 7 p.m. And, and people blare, you know, New York, New York, and, and thank these people. And, and that is truly the least that we can do. It, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of this, become this citywide ritual um, which, you know, is a way to show our appreciation. There's so much more that we can and should be doing. We need hazard pay um, for people who are in the healthcare profession right now. Um, we need a lot of, you know, a lot of people who, anybody who has any kind of experience, you know, to be able to be trained quickly and effectively and, and be paid um, promptly and, and uh, you know, uh, and, and enough, really. We don't pay our, our healthcare uh, workers enough frequently. Um, but, you know, I would say that they are um, certainly overwhelmed and dealing with something unprecedented, as we all are. When when you talk about hazardous, you know, when you talk about, about healthcare professor, professionals, I want to broaden that a little bit. Even grocery store clerks and cashiers True. and grocers are, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that we can do without, but we certainly can't do without food, right? Absolutely right. Anybody who's keeping the supply chain moving, and especially, you're right, people who are grocery store clerks, I mean, they're having to deal with unimaginable volume um, and people coming in and out every day. I'm, I'm totally with you, Cynthia. They all should get hazard pay. <laughs> oh. I have good friends that that work in in uh, a, a co-op, a food co-op in Albany, New York, and there's no there's no talk from the you know from the uh, people on top that hazardous pay will be coming anytime soon, which is sad mm-hmm. because these people are putting their life on the line every day to feed the community. And it just it, it saddens me. So l- let's let's kind of like talk about something exciting. Tell us a little bit about the Rather Prize. What's that? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. And, and just to make one more point on on what you just last said there, that this is a question of of leadership more than anything. And whether you're a leader of a, of a small business, a large business, or an elected official, you know, now is the time to to step up and and show your leadership. Um, but, you know, to your, to your question, uh, you know, the Rather Prize is something I'm, I'm really proud of. It's something that uh, I ran with, with my family um, when I was a student in Texas. It's a $10,000 prize for the best ideas in Texas education. Um, but a lot of the ideas are things that are more widely applicable. But what was the thing we felt uh, was unique about it, what, what I really liked being a part of, was it really focused in on the students and teachers and their ideas. 
that the prize was open to anybody who's learning in or working in uh, a Texas educational institution, could be any level. Uh, and I'm really proud of the ideas that, that came out of there. Um, you know, there were ideas to um, improve uh, community relations with um, elementary schools by having each person come in and, and, and tutor about what their job was, whether they were, uh, you know, a, a, a landscaper, whether they were a doctor, a lawyer, could be any number of those different things, and coming in, teaching kids at a younger age, you know, about all the different options of, of careers. Um, but I'll tell you one that might be uh, interesting to your uh, listeners here, Cynthia, and that's the idea of encouraging all legislators, every elected official, to spend at least one day inside a school in their district. Um, you know, right now we're seeing in New York here, and I might rather prize is a Texas educational program, which we applied to other places. But here in New York, you know, the governor's been talking about 50% cuts um, potentially to some public schools. And a lot, of a lot of legislators are unfortunately okay with this premise. Um, and, you know, I understand that budget cuts and all of those things, but even if we're going to have cuts, where those cuts are targeted is really, really important. And so that's why we need legislators who have actually been inside of schools, who spend at least one day in their term listening to the teachers and students that are there each and every day. Education is our future. It is how we're going to improve this country, improve all of us as individuals, you know, take a, a, a step forward and a step up here. Um, and far too many elected officials don't do that. So, you know, that's just one of the ideas I'm, I'm really, really proud of that's, that's come out of the initiative. So how long has this, Rather, prize been in existence. So we've uh, it was started in 2015. Um, so it's been going on for about five years now. Um, okay. You know, we end up uh, uh, using the uh, South by Southwest uh, conference and festival to present uh, the winner every year. Um, unfortunately, that can that uh, festival was canceled this year um, due to coronavirus, uh, like all things. Um, um, have been, but um, yeah, we've we've been doing it for a few years, and it's gotten some some great ideas out there. Who's whose brainchild was this? Well, it was, it was an idea that that um, you know my family's always instilled in me the the idea that we have to give back in in whatever way we can. Um, and uh -huh. when I first got to Texas, when I was first going to Rice, I was just noticing you know as I was learning about education policy, and you know again you can see it in New York too that just, you know, there weren't enough ideas coming from the ground up. Too many ideas were, were top down. Um, and so I, I asked my family, I said, you know, what do you all think about an idea that was a, a version of what we ended up getting to? Um, but a lot of people weighed in, whether it was other people at Rice University, whether it was educational experts, whether it was South by Southwest itself, a lot of people weighed in. So it was really a, a team effort. Um, but I wanted to be involved in some way in education policy, and, and that uh, seemed to get it started. Do you have your degree in education? Uh, I have my degree uh, in history, um, not not quite in education. Um, but I think, look, okay. uh, you know, you, you got you got to know the past to be able to, to predict anything uh, involving uh, the future. That you know, they say history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. Um, and so I, I studied history uh, at Rice, and then I got a master's in in journalism from Columbia. You know. It's it's interesting that you said history because I I've been doing some reading about the 1918 pandemic and after yeah. things settled back to normal it was never talked about families never talked about it wasn't written uh, much about and 
I think that's one of the problems that caused this pandemic to be so severe is we were unfamiliar with how, you know, people dealt with it 100 years ago. So I'm just hoping that this pandemic, there'll be a lot of documentation so God forbid this should ever happen again. People will have a basic knowledge on, on what to do. Absolutely. I think you're, you're right that chronicling this and making sure that, again, you know, history repeating itself, uh, or not quite repeating itself, but rhyming, um, you know, we're likely to face another pandemic. Uh, you know, let's face it. But um, but I do want to encourage everybody. Uh, Cynthia has a, a great Facebook group that she's just getting going, um, which is going to help to chronicle these things. Uh, and I want to encourage everybody, if you can, uh, you know, to, to follow it and be a part of it and share your story uh, with, with her. Um, and everybody needs, I think, to find a way to chronicle this in one way, shape, or form. Um, it's really, really important. And uh, you're right, you know, this needs to be something that's more talked about. Okay, so give yourself a little plug in the final moments, Martin. <laughs> well, I, I always appreciate the opportunity. Um, I really just want to share a story for a second um, about something that's, that's going on here that uh, I think, you know, not, kind of not enough people have been talking about. Um, you know, it's gotten some attention, but it, it's in my area. Um, and it's really, it's about, we have an incumbent assembly member named Dan Quart. Uh, and it, it's really been a, a problem of, of leadership with him. We've been talking about leadership pretty extensively in this discussion. Um, and so, look, earlier, State Senator Kruger, Speaker Johnson, and other elected officials attended a COVID-19 virtual town hall. The only one missing was the assemblyman from the East Side 73rd District, under fire in recent weeks for his run for Manhattan DA, and his outside income as a lawyer for insurance companies. The Daily News highlighted his double office seeking as he tries to balance his role in the legislature. Local residents were disappointed their assembly member was absent. It's a question of leadership, of who is in charge during this critical moment. And I really want to highlight that for people. Look at who's in charge. Look at who's around right now. Take a step back and, and try and figure out what's, what's going on. And, and really, you know, let's look for strong leadership here. Wow. That's pretty powerful. Uh, and from your involvement with uh, candidates for the New York State uh, Legislature over the past two months where campaigns will not be run as they were in the past? I do. I, I think the campaigns will be totally different um, from the way that they were uh, previously. I think that, you know, people have had to shift towards virtual um, you know, campaigning, they've, have to, they've had to shift towards, um, you know, different ways of, of contacting voters. Um, the only thing we can hope, I think, is, you know, again, we need the strongest possible leadership, uh, and, and let's hope we can get it in, you know, whoever is elected. And, and I also think this is a chance for people to show, you know, how dynamic they are uh, and their campaigns are and, and their constituent services offices and, and, you know, all of those things that if you can adjust to this, you can adjust to just about anything. Thanks, Martin. I hope to talk with you again soon. Uh, you've been listening to Martin Rather. I'm Cynthia Pooler. This is Focused on Albany. And if you like this show, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, download on your smartphone, subscribe to iTunes. If you have a comment about this show, hashtag Focused on Albany. Martin, stay well, stay safe. Thank you, everybody, for listening. You as well. Stay safe and stay well. 
and we'll talk soon. Have a great day. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.